welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring change makers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Prosper Project, where today my guest is Bradley Hoos, and he is going to talk to us about influencer marketing. So Bradley is head of the OutLoud group, and they work hard to be the most trusted influencer marketing agency on the planet. They've also worked with some household names we all know, from Fiverr to Grubhub to NordVPN. And they also have done a recent research study that we'll dive into as well. But before we get too far ahead of the game, welcome, Brad. Thanks, Lorraine. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So tell us a little bit about how you started the OutLoud group and what your interest in influencer marketing comes from. Yeah, so it's sort of a long, circuitous path that I won't bore everyone with all the gory details, but I'll start out by coming clean, right? I'm a recovering engineer. So I have a couple degrees in engineering and and worked in in engineering for a while. Wound up going back to business school and was a management consultant for a while. So also a recovering management consultant as well. So still a little PTSD from those 6 a.m. Monday morning flights out every week. And sort of took a circuitous path. And as part of it, ultimately, I learned that I'm just passionate about being able to build and grow businesses and help clients. And so that was sort of the big uh, aha over a period of time, which took many years, like I said, as a management consultant and launched a coding bootcamp school as well. And I actually did not start the OutLoud group. My business partner, Joel, did, and he was sort of working on it as a sole entrepreneur and had for a few years and was doing really all the right things. And we got connected through the power of networking and relationships. And it was sort of one of his friends and got to know me and was like, you know, you really should talk to this Joel guy. So anyways, we started chatting over, we had grabbed breakfast once a month for a few months. And uh, I was like, wow, this is a really interesting business. And I talked him through hiring somebody and uh, I was like, you know, I think I could help you. Why don't I join you for three months, half time? And I was like, wow, I, I didn't have any idea you'd be interested. So like, yes, but let's talk about what this looks like in the long term, not this first three months. So we did that. Fast forward eight years and Joel and I are business partners. I'm our CEO and we're about a 65 person influencer agency. And like you kindly noted, yeah, we work with a lot of great brand partners and really fortunate to have so many fantastic clients. But ironically, it was not influencer marketing that I was drawn to. It was the idea of like building and growing things that I've learned that I really like, but I did appreciate, and even more so today, appreciate influencer marketing because it's such a unique industry that's very fast growing and and very different from sort of the traditional approach to marketing. So I like, it has a little bit of irreverence and, and a lot of sort of new school thinking tied to it. So we've all heard the term influencer marketing, and I think most people's general idea is that you find someone that has a big audience and you pay them to talk about you. But can you kind of explain how your company looks at influencer marketing? 
Sure. So the simplest way I would put it is it's word of mouth advertising at scale. So if you're on the, the subway on the way to work and you hear someone talking about a restaurant, it's highly unlikely that you will do anything with that piece of information. If one of your good friends who you consider to be a foodie makes the same recommendation, it's highly likely that you will take some response to that recommendation. And so with influencers, ultimately we do is we tap into that trust that exists between a creator and their audience to be able to make recommendations where the creator really does believe in the brand and the product. And I mean, geez, we could get into this. There are some times where creators are not doing that now. And some of the technology is enabled ways for creators to advocate for things that they might not really believe in, which which is a problem. But at its core, and I still believe it's a fundamentally strong way of of marketing, creator really believes in something. And then we help brands be able to identify, okay, what's the right approach to influencer? Because there's so many social media platforms, right? Right. So Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and I keep going and and going, where should they have a place and and what should they do on those platforms? Because ultimately the model is simple. Like as you described, right? You are paying a creator and that creator is then advocating to their audience, but there's a lot of nuance because now you can have the creator post from their account and run paid ads behind it, where it's not necessarily even just going to the creator's audience. Um, huh. But it's going to other audiences yeah. as as well. So yeah, there, there's a lot of nuance that happens really, really quickly. That's so interesting. And we're not talking about just celebrity influencers. We're also talking about people who may or may not be household names, but they have influence over the people that you want to reach with your message. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. And I think that's one of the things that's like so great about the world today is that influencers allow people to sort of find their herd, right? Whereas if you go back to go and turn the clock way back here before cable, folks could really watch like a handful of channels and they would sort of have to pick who they'd want to follow and be interested in based on choices of ABC and NBC, Fox maybe. And then that evolved to cable and you had 40, 50 channels, right? And it's like, oh, I really connect with whatever is happening on MTV or USA or ESPN, you know, sports center person, like whatever it is, you could sort of find your following there. And and now I think one of the great things about influencer is you do have all these, you know, diverse communities that are out there and it allows people to sort of express their individualism in a way mm-hmm. where they can like find the community that they actually are legitimately interested in. I think that's one of the great positives of of influencer marketing now is the fact that these different you know, I call them herds, right? Like these different groups or packs. Yeah, of, I like of, that. Of I, I like that term. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's like one of the positive things that I think is you know really cool about influencer today is like being able to do that. And then when you have someone who's a leader of that, maybe pretty eclectic group, maybe it's mainstream. Like there's someone who does develop that trust and rapport with folks over time. Yeah. And what are some of the results that you've seen as a result of effectively using influencer marketing? Yeah. So we fundamentally see influencer marketing as a full funnel program. So when you think about Mm -hmm. the classic Mm -hmm. marketing funnel, you have awareness, consideration, conversion. And so we run campaigns for different brands across the gamut. But what we recommend is looking at as a full funnel program, right? Because there is value when you have someone that's trusted 
by an audience advocating for your brand. So even if there's no action that's taken, that's not just an impression like a logo flying across the screen. That's someone who's liked and trusted talking about why they like your brand. And that has meaningful. And then talk about consideration. Certainly one of the things we see with influencers is they spend more time on websites. They visit more pages. They're more engaged when they come to a brand's website through influencers. And that has value. And you can figure out how do you quantify that. And that's one of the things we do as an agency. But like, there's value in being able to retarget folks who've been on your website, right? Yes. So you drop the cookie, retarget. And then finally, and I think most obvious is just the conversion piece. So people are going to make purchases and we can track that and look at the lifetime value. One of the things that we've seen repeatedly from our brand partners is the lifetime value of a creator uh, of a customer that comes through an influencer is higher. And I think that's because they stick around longer because they- That's so interesting. Yeah. It's a little bit more of a trusted recommendation. And most creator partnerships, when done right, are long-term between a creator and a brand. Got it. If you subscribe to a product, let's pick on Simply Safe, who's one of our clients, right? Yeah. And and you see a creator that you like continuing to use Simply Safe over time, it just going to reinforce like, oh yeah, I'm doing the right thing and choosing this correctly. So when it's long-term, we really can see those benefits with a nice tail. But yeah, so that's really how we look at it as a full funnel. That said, we certainly have optimized a lot of campaigns for brands that only care about conversion. And mm-hmm. we tap into the data that we have around what creators have historically worked for conversion. And then on the branding side, when brands want campaigns that are strictly upper funnel, then it's really about making sure we're aligning with what's the aspirational version of that brand and understanding who are the creators that would embody that and epitomize that and making sure we're able to use them in an efficient way to really get to get the word out from an upper funnel perspective. Yeah. Either kind of a lifestyle alignment or even a values alignment. Does that make sense? Yeah, we see that more more and more, Lorraine. I think that's something that's really important is the values. And sometimes that's very expressly stated. You know, it's a, a brand that's focused more on sustainability and that's one of their core product, you know, core pillars of the brand. And sometimes it's more implicit with making sure that we're working with a diverse set of creators and we're not just working with blonde women in the South because they wind up performing the best from an acquisition perspective, right? And there is that very conscious thought and they might not be explicitly saying it, but that's very important for them when they're looking at the mix of creators that are representing their brand in the market. Right, right. I love that. And talk a little bit about the data. There's so much data. What are some of the ways that you track the impact that influencers have for brands? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is really where the rubber hits the road and this is something that we're really you know, excited about, but it does depend a little bit on, are we talking about an organic campaign or are we talking about a paid campaign? First, let me clarify when we say organic, what that means. Because traditionally as marketers, when we hear organic, we think there's no dollars being exchanged. But here I'm talking about the audience of the creators being organic. So if you're Mm -hmm. working with creator A, they might have 100,000 folks as their audience. And so you are paying the creator, let me be clear, as part of this campaign. But I say organic because it's their organic audience that you're targeting versus a paid campaign with influencers. You might be engaging that same creator, but you can push out their content to whatever 
audience that you want. So that's a little bit of a tangent, but I'll get back to the measurement, but just want to sort of explain that terminology because in the influencer world, we use the term organic maybe a bit differently than most. But when it comes to the measurement, we're looking upper funnel, trying to understand, hey, what's the reach of this piece of content and what's the efficiency of that reach within your target audience. So that's pretty straightforward in terms of taking a look. And then in the consideration, we're looking at what's the cost per session that we're able to generate. So we're now transitioning someone from a platform. Let's just say YouTube could be any social media platform, but we're transitioning someone from YouTube to your brand's website now. So what's that? We call it the click-through rate, meaning of the people who watch the video, how many are now clicking through and watching or going to your website. And then on your website, we're looking at the quality of that traffic. And so we call it a cost per session that we're delivering and then the quality of that. And then we're going to also be looking at the conversions that happen and over time, the lifetime value of those. And one of the things that's really interesting is that with influencer, there's a lot of what I'll say, quote unquote, is unattributable traffic. So sticking with a simply safe example I referenced earlier. So someone watches a YouTube video with adverse simply safe as part of it from a creator. Well, they don't take any action. A week later, it's the middle of the night and they hear this noise that freaks them out. Well, the next morning, they're just going to go to simplysafe.com or maybe they'll Google it and they go there. Well, they didn't do is go to simplysafe.com slash creator name, but it's because of that creator that they remembered this. And so what we've seen through a clickstream data study, if you want details, you can definitely check it out on our website, outloudgroup.com. But what we see is that for every one person who goes and clicks that vanity URL that would exist in a YouTube video, there's actually four total purchases that are made because a lot of people will go and skip the link and go either directly into a search engine or directly to the brand's website as well. So that's something that you really want to factor in. If you're a smaller business, the great thing is you don't have as many marketing activities that are happening typically. So if you're running an influencer campaign, you can hold everything else steady for a period of time to really get a sense of like, hey, what's the total uptick or what are the changes that are happening? Because you will see quite a bit that might not use a vanity URL or, or show up in your reporting, but they will it will drive additional site traffic to in and, and conversions to, to a brand's website. So yeah, the measurement piece can get really complex. I know I went into a bunch of detail there. Yeah, it's interesting to understand what is trackable and sometimes what isn't. And I think that's true across a lot of marketing. So I come from a PR background. It's certainly true with that. Some PR is trackable if we're using specific links to lead to a website, things like that. But others aren't because it's the nature of building relationships and relationships, you're playing a long game, right? And so how do those mature over time? And then the reality is that they may see an ad and click on the ad, but it's because of all the times that they saw them speaking to other people on podcasts or being in the news and other ways. And so you don't really know. All you know is what made them do that final click, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's so much that goes into this. There's this interesting phenomena in the psychology world called the halo effect. And basically what the halo effect means is once you know and trust someone in one area where they have some expertise, so let's call it a doctor, you actually wind up trusting him in areas that 
are beyond their domain of expertise. So I see this in my real life. It's, it's funny. I have the a really good friend who's a, an in ER doctor, great guy, great doctor, but yet I'll find friends like asking him for financial advice or something along those lines. Oh gosh. And I sort of chuckle. It's like, Hey, like he's a great, smart guy, but I find that interesting. But the same phenomena happens if you're watching a cooking channel, for instance, and then mm-hmm. someone's making a recommendation for earbuds, right? Or whatever yeah, the case. Absolutely. Transferable authority. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the fun things to see as well, which is like a totally different dimension of attribution, but it just sort of uh, sparked my thought there. Yeah. So I want to ask you a couple of things. So let's go over to this study, which I guess wasn't that recent, but you posted about it recently. But about three and a half years ago, you launched a study on Black creator representation and compensation in influencer brand deals. And can you talk a little bit about what's changed since then? Because I love that you revisited this and you shared a couple of the insights. So for example, one of the things that you said, and you say Black plus, Black plus creators are underrepresented by 38.8% in influencer marketing industry brand deals compared to the US Black plus population. And so my company's a certified B Corp. We care a lot about DEI and impact on people. And I love when companies kind of pay attention to this, like, hey, you know, we're not seeing a lot of Black influencers that are competing at the same level or are receiving the same kind of compensation that non-Black influencers may be. So can you talk a little bit about what brought that to your company's attention and kind of how that evolved? Yeah, I think I think this is something that's r- really important for all industries, but I would argue the influence industry in particular, because it's sort of seen as the tastemaker, right, of our society as these creators right. are, in theory, the tip of the sphere in terms of everything that we're seeing and we believe are, are important. And so we want to make sure these creators are fairly represented amongst brands. And so back in 2020, there was obviously a lot that was happening in the world. And we saw a lot of folks trying to, what we believed, like do things in the moment, right? Where people were taking a day off for their agency to give people time to reflect on what was happening. And we were like, well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't feel right for us. Like we want to do something where we're uniquely positioned to add value and to try to be part of the solution. And so where we landed was we wanted to invest in the data that we had and would continue to have over time. And and to your point now, we've now been doing this for three and a half years. So we wanted to collect that data, analyze it, and report it out to the industry. And so that's really what the impetus of this was. And we've come a long way as an agency. And I think the, the good news is the industry has made some progress as well, but the progress is not as sufficient as we'd like to see. So I could get into all the specifics of, of how we did the study, but but the short version is we look at the influencer industry as a whole, and mm-hmm. we did this for YouTube platforms specifically. I want to be, be clear for listeners who might not be as familiar with the industry. So this is not for the pre-roll ads that are served programmatically. So if you go to watch a video and you see that 15 second skippable or unskippable ad right mm-hmm. beforehand, this is not that. These are brand deals where the creator is advocating for brand that's baked into the video, right? Where a creator may say something like, hey, today's video is sponsored by Simply Safe. Thanks, Simply Safe, for protecting our family, whatever the case may be, right? So that's what we're talking about. And so 
we looked at of all the brand deals that are happening for the Outloud group. And then we look at what's happening in the industry as a whole. And so we look for what was the Black Plus creator representation in those videos. And we have seen, like I said, the first half of the year in 2020, the Outloud group, we were at 7.2% of our videos in, included Black Plus creators and the influencer industry as a whole is 6.9. And for context, 13.4% is Black Plus representation in the United States. So we're, we're always careful to say like, hey, listen, like there's nothing wrong with running a marketing campaign that's targeted towards a specific demographic, whether it's Hispanic community or the Black community or the Asian community or the white community, whatever it is. So different brands have different reasons for targeting different communities. And, and that's fine, right? I think that's marketing. But we want to look at things in aggregate and saying, hey, are we really doing everything that we can and should to reflect our values and what we think is important? So <laughs> we published this in hopes of having other agencies and other key folks in the arena really put this information out there with data and information to be able to then drive change over time. And we've also, so that's just the inclusivity in brand deals, but we've also taken it a step further and published our rates in terms of what we're paying creators like as a whole, and then a subset of it for Black Plus creators over time. And is that available on your website if people are interested in that? Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Just go to outloudgroup.com. And if you go to insights, you'll see one of the dropdowns is Black Plus Creator Analysis. And the TLDR of the payment is that Black creators are actually paid more than white creators, at least for the Outloud Group's uh, deals as a whole. That's so interesting. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking into that and reading that study. And I love that you care about not just doing well, but doing good things and being fair and equitable in your approach as a B Corp, which we talked about offline before we started. It's something that is really important, I think, for more companies to be aware of. And I think because I have that lens on now, I'm always looking for that. Where is that showing up? And we know consumers are as well. Consumers are holding brands accountable in ways that they didn't in prior decades. And I think it's really interesting to watch and the impact that it's going to have on who has influence and how we engage with influencers going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like brands are being judged based upon what their values are. And I think that's a healthy thing to have happen. And I believe in the Outloud Group, we believe that your actions are a lot more important than your words. So we want to make sure we're continuing to put a lot of energy and effort into things like this study. It takes a lot of our team's time to create, but we think it's valuable. And, and we think we'd love to see the industry continue to be aware of what's happening. And with that awareness and data, be able to sort of evolve some changes. I also want to go back one second. I did, I said something incorrect just a minute ago when I said, oh, black creators are paid more than white creators. It's not black creators versus white, it's black creators versus the creator set as a whole. So I just wanted to quickly correct that. But anyways, yeah, I think the values piece where you're talking about, Lorraine, is that really important. And it's something that we see, we love it when we're working with brands. We're always conscious of this. We'll share the data with the specific brands that we're working with to make sure that they're aware with it. Again, there's different reasons why you'd target different demographics for campaigns and we're supportive of that. But we want to make sure those are very purposeful choices and it does get factored in. I think I've been impressed with the power of that little nudge with just a brand being like, hey, I just want you to be aware that we've run with a hundred creators and approved eight 
who are Black Plus creators. Like, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's good to know, right? Whatever the case may be, and it does change behavior. Yeah, it's an old adage, but when we know better, we can do better. So I love that you make that information available to your clients. So you typically work with companies that have enough to throw thousands and thousands of dollars at an influencer campaign. What would you tell companies that don't have a big budget? Is there a way for them to work with influencers or are there other alternatives for them just off the top of my head, like collaborative partnerships, where would you tell small businesses, and depending on the size, obviously small business has a big range, but that don't have big marketing budgets, how could they leverage some of this information? Yeah. So I'm a Midwesterner based in Detroit. So I'll answer that with an analogy, right? To start. So when your car is stuck in the snow, you may know that, hey, I need to go Northeast. But it doesn't really matter where you need to go. Like what you need to happen with that car is to start rocking it. Like just move forward a little bit, move backwards, move forward. And then now you've got some momentum. Next thing you know, you're driving and then worry about going to the Northeast. So I think with a lot of folks, especially small businesses, I see they can get intimidated by the whole notion of of influencer marketing. And I think the most important thing is to do something. And so often it can be as simple as really understanding who are creators out there and the smaller, the better, if you're a small business, who are folks out there who have five, 10,000 followers who you think are really a great fit for your brand and just reach out to them and maybe offer something or maybe just leave it open-ended to try to get that conversation going. And then another thing that you can do, and I think a lot of small businesses would can benefit from this is being able to go through your email list or maybe your followers on social and seeing who amongst your set of customers or followers right now that have decided to be part of your herd, how many of those folks are actually do have a, a solid social following already and be able to engage with those. And then another early stage thing that we see working well with smaller businesses is if most folks will have like, there depends on the industry, but a lot of people will have uh, paid social programs set up, right? So I have advertising on Meta where I'm you know, pushing out ads on Facebook and, and Instagram. Well, you can do something now where you are still doing paid ads, but instead of coming from your brand account, right? Instead of coming from Acmeco and you're scrolling and you see, oh, Acmeco, here's an ad. Now it comes from Phil or Joe, the influencer, right? So it comes from their accounts called creator listing, allow listing. It used to be called white listing for a lot of reasons that term isn't used anymore, but you can partner with creators to have ads come from their account as opposed wow. to yours, but it still fits in with your paid social program. So that's yeah. something that we love seeing small businesses be able to tap into. That's genius. I did not know that. So that's really, really interesting. Well, you give us a lot of insight on how businesses at any stage can benefit from influencer marketing. And I learned a lot. For example, I didn't know that customer loyalty tended to be greater when clients came from influencers. So I will be re-listening to this podcast episode so I can take some notes and I'm sure our listeners will as well. So I want to thank you for sharing every Thing. And you also mentioned to me that you have a newsletter that people can subscribe to. And how can they do that if they want to learn more about influencer marketing? 
Yeah, we have a great newsletter that really packs a, a pretty heavy punch in terms of delivering good insights and tips for what you can do with influencer marketing. So if you go to just our website, outloudgroup.com, it'll be pretty straightforward for you from there in terms of how you can sign up for a newsletter to make sure you're getting that information in your inbox on a regular basis. I love it. That's so good. So my last question is, what does it mean for you to prosper? Yeah. So one of the things that I've said for a long time, which might be a little controversial, but I do believe that it's pick two of three, right? Health, family, work. And I think it's whatever two of the three I'm choosing during a given season of my life, because I don't think that's a permanent choice, but to make sure that I'm continuing to include health into that, right? So if I want to be successful as a father, as a husband, like it's really important to, for me able to make sure I have my health. I'm more relaxed. I feel better, right? I'm more patient, all the things, and I'm definitely better in work as a whole. So one of the things that I've learned as a whole is that no matter what it is that I'm trying to do, if I first take care of the health piece of things, I'm going to be much, much better at. So to me, that's really the foundational piece. And ultimately, I think it's making a conscious thought of like, what is the main thing for me at any given time? And then just to keep the main thing. And I, I try to communicate that with the most important stakeholders in my life. Number one being my wife in terms of like, yeah, hey, here, mm. here's where things are and here's where we want to focus. So I think like being able to be really conscious, you know, I'm big on making conscious choices. And I think being prosperous means making conscious choices as opposed to falling in ruts or, or slipping into different habits that maybe we never really thought about, but they've just become comfortable. So maybe a little bit of an orthodox approach, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about being prosperous these days. I love it. I think it's really insightful. Bradley Hoos from the Out Loud Group. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the prosper project if you want to grow a peerless profitable brand please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and if you find value in our show please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review in appreciation please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business